0: My guest today is the Managing Director and owner of the Alternative Board Ireland. He is formerly CEO of Cleary's Department Store and past President of Dublin Chamber of Commerce. Here's what some of his colleagues say about him. PJ demonstrates endless fascination for the way small and medium-sized companies operate, evolve and fulfil their mission. He is always looking for ways to help each client he serves. Here's the second one. His network of business associates in Ireland is second to none. PJ has deep knowledge of the retail sector, which complements his coaching and entrepreneurial activities. And finally, he's one of the most visionary, calm and switched on CEOs I've ever had the pleasure to work with. He educates himself all about the subject he's pursuing, yet knows exactly when to delegate and when to bring in outside assistance. PJ Timmons, you're very welcome to the podcast. Right. that's it, fucking Tell me a little bit of where you grew up and what that was like for you.
1: Well, in fact, um, while I was born in Dublin, I really was born in the countryside. Um, so I lived in West Wicklow for the first 18 years of my life on a farm. And um, it was a very, I suppose, instructional way of living because a, you've got to be very self-reliant on a farm. Um, I worked very closely with my father and there was a six-year gap between me and my next sibling. And I did everything with him all the time, uh, from uh, minding cattle to sowing crops, everything. I was driving a tractor at eight years of age. In fact, I found myself running the farm at 12 because he got a stroke, in fact. so. um, But I knew what to do. I lived with my uncle for a period of time and you have that great sense of you, you have to fix things yourself mm. um so you take a lot of responsibility we also had grew sugar beet and mm. that was a, a, the same kind of culture as you would have in the rice growing regions and um, it's a lot of work in a very small space that you do non-stop all the time quite boring mm. but mm. um for somebody like a creative mind like myself um, it certainly gave you a discipline that you learned because it wasn't my natural as such. And that's how I, I had the choice of staying and being a farmer or I could get out and explore the world and get educated. So I took the latter
0: choice. When I met you, and it's a good while ago, you were managing director of Cleary's. How do you get from farm boy to managing a, such a, an iconic retail brand as Cleary's?
1: Well, um, the journey, the plotted story of the journey was essentially, um, I went to college in UCC and um, when you come out of Liebensherr, you look at what we were okay at doing and how could you leverage that. So in fact, um, I was not bad at commerce and the only thing I knew down the countryside really was teaching. So I went and I did become in UCC and I went off to UCC because I lived with my aunt and I had a lovely time. Um, And I discovered it was a four-year course because I'd done all my research on UCD. But that was a great extra year to spend because in that we did things from applied psychology, sociology, history of um, Russia, of South Africa, of British colonial history. And those were all places I visited afterwards uh, as, as a result of understanding their backgrounds, their history, and all of that. The real reason I ended up in Cleary's was because I couldn't get a job teaching back in the eighties. And so I had offers from all of the accountancy firms having completed my big comm and done reasonably well in it. And I ended up in Coopers or Pricewaterhouse as it was knowing by then. Mm. I did my chartered accountancy and went working and um, when that was up, there wasn't a lot of partnership opportunities back in that time. Nobody uh, out of my those years in fact, was made a partner in the numbers of years I was in PW, so as a young fellow, you decide, well, let's get out and see what's around the world. Uh, so I joined um, McInerney Properties. I was lucky enough um, to have a, a job offer really quickly when there wasn't a lot of jobs going. Mm-hmm. And I went through, uh, started off in what was Pierce contracting, so where it was civil engineering at the time, and then house building, um, we did property development, investment properties, and I learned to cope with quite a lot and got promoted very quickly. Um, but within a few years, I was in head office doing consolidated accounts uh, and they the published figures for the stock exchange, all of that. To be honest, I got bored with it. I got Ooh. to do it quicker, but again, I, it was not really in my nature. I didn't really understand that much at the time, but I did, afterwards in the more re- in more recent years when I started to study psychometrics and to see that I wasn't cut out for that. Uh, and it was one of the reasons I think I got promoted because I wanted to get on top of the job to show I could command and control, but then I'd get bored and be open for next. But I was always the guy that was available to do the next problem sorted out, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And after a certain amount of time of doing consolidations, I said, I, it was my New Year's resolution to get a new job. And um, I got a call on the 4th of January. And it doesn't happen often, but I was delighted to get this call. And it was, it was head of finance in Clery's. Uh, could the recruiter keep talking? So I said, keep going, because it was my new, new Year's resolution. So I started in March in Clery's 1991. So some time ago. Mm.
0: Wow. Um, I'm curious to know how much of that can do problem solving mentality comes from growing up on a farm. Um, I think it was
1: because a combination of my far on a farm, but also it was my father who was probably the who was certainly the most influential person in my life. Mm. And he was quite an intellectual. He was an unusual farmer in that regard, in terms that he was the youngest in a, in a family of three. And that meant that the eldest would inherit the farm and he was going to be the, the prize of the family, being the priest. However, he decided at the, before taking vows, he decided, I like girls too much. So um, he left the priest. He didn't join the priesthood, uh, but he went back working um, on the family farm. Um, he, after some years, probably I think in his mid 30s, he got a loan backed by his father to buy a farm. So the farm was a business
0: mm. and as a
1: business, it had loans against it, it had to be repaid and he ultimately sold it and retired in the proceeds. And that was a very unusual thing in farming. So we were benchmarking, you know, before I knew what benchmarking was we were always setting what was the best standard. And there was only, it it was very competitive in some ways in that if we showed cattle in the RDS or whatever, it was with the objective of winning prizes. So Mm -hmm. we were looking at Pedigree Herefords, which we were growing. And all of that um, can-do attitude um, meant that that's just the way I always looked at life of, uh, how do you make this happen? Rather than, in other words, um, that externalities of control where you actually control the world around you rather than the world happens to you and that's always been the philosophy i've come from um, and sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad because mm. uh, sometimes you take on too much which can be a weakness of, of, of something like that because there's so many exciting things to do
0: maybe just one more quick question about the, the, going back a few decades is if i knew you from your school days if i was in primary school and early secondary school what would my experience of you have been like
1: um i probably would have come across as being um a little bit on the shy side um, i when i look even at my disc profile and um, which is, is one of the practices so my extroversion versus my introversion are quite balanced and um, I will tend to be more feelings focused than task focused. Mm. And my weakest area is my continuous attention to repeating, doing the same thing and, and uh, doing things in a very controlled manner. And that probably was the same kind of kid I was too. Um, mm. From the point of view that I was, you know, enemies with nobody, friends with everybody. And um, I was, um, I really, I think, enjoyed probably college a lot more. Uh, Partially because you went to school and then you went home and you worked on a farm. It was simple, Mm. you got the bus. And I would have had a great friend in in school um, who was a neighbour, Jim Healy, and he runs the the chocolate garden of Ireland today. So we'd still be in contact and referring to each other and a really super fellow. Um, and then i would have had another friend in secondary school so sometimes i would pick some of the people who were um not the let's say they were maybe quirky you could say in their own ways um, but i could see something special in these people so another mm. great friend um, was an individual who uh, grew up in relatively modest circumstances but went on and made a fortune and lost a fortune and made a fortune uh but a really brilliant brilliant, incredible individual. And um, last year only, I was back at a reunion um, in my school and I hadn't seen um, the the group for 42 years of the people who turned up for that. Um, So some of my mates didn't turn up or they were in different classes. But after 42 years, um, and a lot of them, um, we, we were in the brothers, the Patrician brothers and the convent joined together. And in fact, so I always had girls in my class. That was uh, the way we operated. And so two of the guys showed up and I think it was eight or 10 of the girls. And I haven't seen anybody for 42 years. And within about five to 10 minutes, it was like, it was 10 minutes since we saw them last. The fun we
0: had was brilliant. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Tell me, would you describe yourself more of a creative or, or more of a practical person um
1: probably balance somewhere between them i think um because i have a reasonable utilitarian drive but when i was an accountant i was known as a creative one i remember there was a book written on um, creative accounting and i read the book and said yeah been there done all that yeah. Um, so uh, leveraging tax schemes so the student departments in UCD got built because we came up with a great tax scheme of how to leverage the dis- the difference between uh, the tax zero status of the university and then McInerney's who were proposing the development and who got to build the development they just wanted to build the development but we were doing really advanced um, tax things back in the 80s and we actually kickstarted a great deal of the urban renewal relief, which was essential mm. in Dublin. If you think back to the late 70s, I mean, the the, the bachelor's key was a disaster. Uh, the city center was a disaster. Um, and there's, there's parts of the city center to this very day. If you, if you look at O'Connell Street and, and the Carlton site uh, and the building that burnt down in 17, 1979, still vacant. So that's a, a separate passion. But we kick-started um, where Century FM became tenants in Christchurch, and Air Square Shopping Centre. We did shopping centre develop. We did shopping centre developments. We did civic offices, and that was a great um, kick to kickstart start the economy and the rejuvenation of the city. So that was my creative side. I like a bit of music. You probably see a bit of a guitar in the background, uh, but I feel very inadequate compared to my son, who is a musician, and. Um, you know I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fiddler I could say in comparison to the experts.
0: I have that exact same in my house my son plays piano and drums and he just he will go in and spend two hours it's like therapy for him and I'm kind of going in and trying to still even after a few years.
1: And I, uh, I, I, I do like the bit of creativity I'm not mm-hmm. the best at it and I was just having a quick look at your website beforehand on the photographs and I went wow the landscapes were really beautiful.
0: Oh, thank you. I, I Something actually, I, I let that website go. I, I haven't done very much with it. Funnily enough, I haven't done any photography in a while, but I'm going away next weekend to Wales with a group for that purpose. So hopefully I'll get to update it a little bit. Um, One of the things, I'm, I'm not from Dublin, but you know, I, I spent a few years living in Dublin in my single days and Clary's always had a, uh, had had a kind of a it was a meeting point for a lot of people and i know you spent a few years there i just wanted to ask you because it's such an iconic brand maybe you could share a a a favorite memory or a fond memory you have from from your times there um
1: well many many fond memories from cleary's i spent 22 years there in total and um again like the people were a a huge part of it Um. I think there was one little moment, um, which was I remember we had we'd put a lot of effort into redeveloping the store, trans absolutely doing a complete transformation of it, its brand, everything about it. And we had been gaining market share. And we knew that it was it was a tall order because at one point in time I would have known 20 CEOs of department stores. And you know, we bit by bit they were disappearing. That was the reality of it. I was very conscious in the States, for example, because we used to try and benchmark ourselves that they stopped producing uh, the benchmark studies in about 1985 or six, because there was no more independent department stores left. Mm. It was just the chains at that stage. Mm. And even the many of the chains had been subject to buyouts, closures, um, restructuring, um, gone bust, all sorts of things. Um, So we well we i was ceo for about a little over two years at the time and we entered um the best independent department store in britain and ireland and we put a lot of effort in we'd been working on it i'd been there for um 12 years before that and um i'd been part of the management team that had been part of the refurbishment of the store and reinvigorating of it bringing in more concessions making more branding doing charge cards and uh, all sorts of good things. But I remember the moment that uh, it was announced that we'd won it. And it was just an incredible feeling and sensation. Um, Because in some ways I thought, we've years to go because there's still lots to do. Um, But then you you start to realise that perfection doesn't really exist. And Mm. it was a a great benchmark on the way at the time to to be able to
0: achieve Mm. that accolade. Mm, For sure. Tell me, in terms of what you're doing currently, what's given you the greatest sense of accomplishment?
1: I I think it happens in little moments. um, When you see a member, actually a new realization dawns on them that makes a big, big difference. We've had some members that have had pivotal moments when they've had to pivot their business when their businesses have been in huge trouble.
0: Sorry PJ when you say members maybe just for people listening could you explain what you mean by members?
1: By members I mean members of the alternative board so the organization I run at the moment it's a membership organization where people pay a monthly sub and for that they get to come with a small group of non-competing business owners once a month we coach them to make sure they bring the most strategic issues to the table we may work with their senior teams as well and um, in, in developing strategy with them or any there's lots of other interventions because we've got quite a, a wide number of um, professionals we can call upon some of them are facilitators some of them are just specialists in what they do and um, but as a member of the alternative board and um, we They they stay as members, let's say, for quite a number of years because they just get such value out of it. They essentially get accountability, they get the creativity of a group, they get the collective wisdom of a group that enables them to make better decisions, and they get the clarity of advice that enables them to eliminate the fear of change.
0: Mm.
1: And the the personal moments out of it is when somebody really appreciates the value you've brought to them, maybe through the questioning. you know the award ceremonies are great every year we had one member um last year who achieved the status of unicorn we awarded them the unicorn award um in in november because we knew that they had achieved that value because there was people bidding to invest in the company at that value Ooh. and by february i think march of last year they had a valuation of 1.6 billion wow. so Our belief, though, is it's about what the business owner wants out of life. So not everybody wants to achieve that sort of accolade. But it's an incredible to work alongside those kind of people, because in some ways, unicorns appear to be very rare. And it's when you worked with them that you um, see that they're just ordinary people like ourselves. They do multiply things uh, quicker. They're quite quick and fast and and disciplined, but they've all the human frailties that we all have. Uh, we're all work in progress, and they're no different. Um, and but they have a, some little advantage, maybe. And um, another person that I worked with in my Cleries days uh, would be an old McCabe of Intercom, uh, who programmed our bed store for us. And um, and that was really we were generating artificial intelligence to prescribe you the right bed. I mean, after all, a bed was a box, a mm-hmm. white box, and you depended on the salesperson to guide you through the selection process. And um, we we just invented a pro- project back in oh it's about fifteen years ago plus at this stage, and um, hopefully that was part of Owen's thinking in how to develop the customer journey
0: uh, with the intercom story. Mm-hmm. What prompted you excuse me, <clears throat> what prompted you to, to get into the tab type of business. It's very different from managing retail.
1: Well, um, one of the big advantages I had when I was in Cleary's, um, I was about two years a CEO. I had studied for an MBA some years before that, and I just found the, the lack of maybe new creativity and drive that you get when you're surrounded by a bunch of really innovative go-getting types. So we really are a product of our environment uh, mm. in that regards. And uh, I was approached by a gentleman, Michael Lowy, who had been uh, an entrepreneur of the year and um, youngest person to be called to the bar. He'd been a director of Smurfur uh, and PA Consulting and um, he had gone to lead this organization which was about creating advisory boards for CEOs and coaching them. So Michael became my coach, or chair as we call them, and I found that really invigorating. It made my life so much easier than I think my predecessor because um, whenever I needed to go to my board of directors with um, something I needed to get across the line, um, I had to practice beforehand with my advisory board and they were just brilliant at pretending they were my board, but it was a very safe environment and the perspectives you can get from people who are not in the business is always so much better uh, because if people are in the business they are consultants and they're looking for the next paycheck or they're employees and they want to stay, you know, get their bonuses. Uh, and as CEO, you don't really have that independent view, but this was a completely independent view and I really loved it so much. And I also love the educational components at every board meeting. And it's something I've been, I've had hundreds and hundreds of board meetings, uh, but I always give an educational component, which is to get people to think maybe a bit differently at at every single one of them. It pushes me to learn new things all the times also. Um, But I loved it so much. I said, that's something I would love to do. Um, So when we'd completed the sale to Gordon Brothers, um, I knew I'd never wanted to be CEO within a subsidiary. I, I was too independent for that. Uh, to do that and it had been very clear with the chairman of gordon brothers europe that um i did not want to be part of that future i had been 22 years in clearies and mm. it was up to the next generations to see what they could do uh, but i did have a, a view maybe of taking over the home furnishings um division and um, which they had put, appointed liquidator to because that had been a, a business i had actually started from, from the idea myself and um, I could see that the recession would end someday, but apparently it wasn't part of their plans. So I had to say, "Whoa!" Well, I've bought, brought fifty-two um, uh, concessions or franchises into the country, particularly in retail. And um, what's the next generation going to be? And I actually um, spent. I, I, I came across a franchise broker. I said, "Find me something." We did psychometrics, what would be the good matches, etc. And um, Uh, He said, I have something for you after a few weeks, and I said, let me see what I can find. So I looked up, I did one search on Google, um, top B2B fastest growing franchises in North America. And number 16 on that list was the alternative board. And um, 20 minutes later, I meet my broker and he says, I've sifted through thousands of franchises. I think I have one for you. It's called the alternative board. Right. So just holding back my enthusiasm was, um, was my biggest challenge mm. because it was doing exactly the kind of thing and it meant I just didn't have to invent the wheel from scratch. It was a ready-made model and I brought my former um, chair and coach with me to Denver, Colorado where we investigated the model and um, he described it was a bit like what he did but on steroids. That was a, mm. his precise description and um, so it, that's where the love and of that started and that's what i wanted to do in my retirement so i was so lucky to retire at 50 yeah. in my world i've just been doing what i just love doing kind of since yeah
0: that's a that's a basic story because it's like you had bought it without knowing it was there in your own mind it was yes. it was ready made for you and then you've yes. discovered it no that said Uh, And you said there were, you know, they're certainly in the top 20 franchises in North America, which, which is in itself no mean achievement and it's testament to the to the brand and to the value that it delivers. That doesn't mean any individual like yourself or anybody else is going to be successful. It's a long, hard road from just buying that franchise to making it successful like you have. Talk to me about some of the bumps in the road along the way for you in terms of where where you felt there was challenges and they had to dig deep to push through
1: and um, I think the um, well in the business model of the alternative board Ireland is a relatively small country and um, so I had a very successful launch in fact um, I launched you know I had to do the prep for Ireland to get it ready but we launched on the in early October and by the end of October I had my first board um, which was, was very fast. We, um, and partially because I kind of knew what it was to run a board. It wasn't like um, I had been president of Dublin Chamber of Commerce. I had set up business. I'd been chair of a tech company called Ococo, back from the 90s. So I was very comfortable in that chair kind of role and had a lot of experience. So uh, my own unit franchise was very successful. What was much more difficult was and finding people just like myself in all the other parts of the country who had the money, the motivation, the experience, the willingness uh, and getting all the stars in alignment throughout the country. Because um, one of the things that would be a little bit unique about Ireland is that um, Enterprise Ireland is an amazing organisation and they have a massive number of supports for businesses which they procure very efficiently Um, but they wouldn't necessarily procure exactly what we do. Um, So you could say that was our competitor was government in some ways. Mm. So um, we had to align where we could with government and we did some contracts with them. And it is relatively, it's it's very competitive because we don't have somebody who does just like what we do, who puts in the same amount of education of, um, I mean, we are educating ourselves at least probably three hours plus every week. Uh, so we have an enormous amount of support and education going on, uh, which I love. It's, look, it's one of my personal drivers. I'm open to new things. I love learning about new things. And um, that's my top two motivators. So it really mm. ticks the boxes in, in, in those regards. So um, we have kind of broadened it now to, to bring in other competencies and supports and through either partners or some of the facilitators that have taken on and that would be, you know, whether it's in the sales area or in the HR area or in, um, in you know, create metrics for SaaS based businesses or raising funds and finance, whatever it is, we have an expert or marketing, whatever it is, we have an expert within our community that we can pull upon for that. And that's a it's a wonderful place to be. So the variety of projects we're just doing at the moment is as well as the boards and the membership um, is, is very exciting. We're mm. just um, only yesterday um, we've done a pitch with a business that's trying to change the world uh, and teach digital skills to uh, kids called Olus. Um, mm. And um, they're doing their angel round of investing. And I do a bit of angel investing. We invest in some members. Some people are members. Some people, you know, are, are just investments we have as, as, in, as, as an angel investor to them. Um, but these are um, fantastic organizations that are changing the country. They're bringing Ireland, you know, way up the value chain. Um, one of the companies I'm very lucky to be an investor in and chair is HR Duo. We recently got a uh, four and a half million investment from private equity in the UK. And we deliberately targeted the UK because the UK is the market where we're going to grow in. Um, we've already got a strong position here in Ireland. But that's really bringing automation, artificial intelligence, and um, to technology within HR at, at a, a new level. So, I'm very proud to be part of an organization sure. like that sure. and um, helping drive it on. So um, I don't I I don't get down really about things. I think you asked me about what were the things I really had to push through. I Mm. I kind of pushed through pretty quickly, actually, you know.
0: Mm. That's amazing. Tell me, though. So maybe look at that slightly differently, you say over the last 10 years, what would you say would be some of the important lessons or maybe things you might have done a little bit differently if you were starting out again, maybe for other people who are coming into the business?
1: So, what would you do differently? Um, certainly, one of the learnings um, was because uh, the lear- one of the learnings would be to meet clients where they are, not where you'd like them to be. And what I mean by that is, um, we would see maybe a great business, great opportunity, and I could see all the possibilities, you know, in, in seconds, um, and I would be you know getting people okay here's what they can do almost even though you're coaching and asking questions mm. but we noticed after about a year and a half we looked we did a, a loss analysis of who had we lost and we'd lost most of the clients we'd lost were and um, the people who were brilliant on with culture who were somewhat introvert and very feelings focused but that type of individual when they do something they are very cautious and careful about how they do it and when it's done they don't want to revisit it so they're very cautious about how they proceed and we probably have been kind of trying to push them too much to Mm. be honest even just through questions now as coaches we learn you only ask questions Mm. but your questions of course can be leading rather than maybe recognizing them for the great progress they were making Sometimes this could be a second or third generation business owner leader. And um, sometimes it could be, um, and I should know this from my, my own wife, we, we have a business as an optical business, and this would be the more detail orientated uh, feelings, orientated individuals who are, um, who are, would certainly not be extrovert in their behaviors and who like to do things right, and who relate mm. to everybody. Uh, but they have often really good businesses also and um and i would say in our optical business is probably the combination of myself and my wife who are opposites i'm the kind of the big thinker the strategist, the financial person the um the person who will you know I, i'll look at the accounts and interpret the budgets i would hate doing the accounts and mm. um, but she is so happy to um Take care of all the pennies and the pounds will look after themselves. So I look after the pounds, mm. she so look after the pennies, as we say, uh, and but mm. it, it works really well.
0: Mm. You mentioned education a uh, short while ago, and I was curious to know if you were a minister for education, what one subject would you make mandatory on the Levenson curriculum?
1: That's a good question Um, because I got two of them. Can I give two? You sure can. I think the first one is about developing self-awareness so that people can be aware of their own biases, their own behaviours, their own motivators and therefore they can learn about others and not to be captivated by those biases that they will be fed on the internet and to be able to think independently for themselves. So a combination of what is true independent thinking has got to come from a position of knowing who you are yourself. Um, the other one, in fact, is it's partially the passion that we were facing a very unusual age, and um, you know, as artificial intelligence becomes mm. really important in terms of the development of society. And what becomes really important is the questions we ask. And the ability to stay independent and not just be led by the nose, by the artificial intelligence, because it's always, it's, what is it, seldom, um, never in doubt, often, sometimes wrong, but never in doubt. And that is very much the case of artificial intelligence. So people really need to understand to be digitally competent, to deal with that sort of future. Mm. And... That's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm passionate about um, helping our member to raise the funds, their, their seed capital, um, for their um, equipping kids to be the digitally literate. Because they're digital natives doesn't mean they're literate because most of the kids, they're dealing with apps and phones and everything, but they couldn't find a file on a computer if you asked them to do it. They don't yeah. understand directory and structure, structures and stuff like yeah. that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, whereas we all grew up in that sort of thing. Yeah, and um, and this was it was really interesting. One of our members, uh, the member in fact who, who went on to create the the Unicorn Company, their first business when we engaged initially was a business called Cubicle, and um, it was a, a startup that was struggling at the time. But by understanding that, um, you know, our generation, Paul, we grew up and we were taught these things, or so we went on courses to learn them, and we, we, we understood the difference between an add some function and adding few cells together in Excel.
0: Mm.
1: It's just assumed that the next generations understood it, but they didn't. Mm. And so the sale became, not uh, in, in the traditional sort of way, but the sale became a brand protection mechanism for the Deloitte's, the Chartered Accountants, Lloyds Bank, the big people whose brand depended on their people, being able to share spreadsheets that were well-constructed. And, and that made the cubicle went on became a phenomenal success uh, and added a lot more products to the range and everything uh, but it was rethinking how a product like that is sold and, and having people who could actually sell it at that sort of level as well yeah so and, and that again is that we assume people know but they don't actually so that's just the two thoughts on education yeah
0: no i'm, I'm fascinated by your answers because i actually think there's a in, in your first one, there's a part A and B to that because you said about, and I was smiling as you said it when you said uh, self awareness because just prior to that, my when, in my head I was, PJ just really self aware. I was thinking that as 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 you were talking about uh, analysis and self analysis and so on, and then you talked about critical thinking, and I and I think th- th- they are two sides of the same coin, perhaps because. Yes. And, and I would wholeheartedly agree with you about the critical thinking, particularly nowadays when people are bombarded with um, headlines, not just in, in traditional media, but social media. And I'm, I'm, I'm never seen to be, I'm, I'm never uh, seem to be surprised by how often people see a headline and go, and it becomes their truth. without asking simple questions is about well is it even true in the first place or what's their agenda why is it presented that way and so that's one thing it was interesting but the self-awareness thing i wanted to drill down a bit more and ask you was or or, let me ask it a different way how important do you feel your sense of self-awareness has been to your success
1: um when i think about it back about it when i was ceo of cleary's i think in some ways well a lot of experience and a lot of passion i was actually somewhat lucky at times too because i see some of the decisions i made and i said yeah it was the right decision but i didn't really have a framework then as to why and i wished i would have had the coaching skills that i developed since back then and because it um, I, I do remember reading a book, I think it was on um, NLP, and mm. maybe trying to reframe my language at um, the executive meetings and could see the difference. But I wish I had the coaching skills because it would have meant rather than me giving, I was always a problem solver and trying to solve the problem my way, which would be to enable others to solve the problem in their way more. Um, mm. So that's something that. I, I I was sorry that I didn't have as a skill back then. And part of that journey was learning about the differences. So I, I was speaking there about the difference between myself and my spouse. And it was about a decade or so, I, I, I learned that my aesthetic is not that high, whereas my deliberate, get something done. In other words, as an auditor, you could be in a room, you're in different rooms, different days of the week. There could be a load of people in the room or you could be on your own. You still gotta get it done on time mm. but and and that suited me i didn't care what environment i was in but where people with high aesthetic and they can just can't function in that room it's too noisy there's too much interference for them there's too many distractions they can't focus on what they
0: need to do so what does high aesthetic mean in that context
1: um high aesthetic for example, um, I remember where I was training a facilitator one day and um, I was getting them to present you know, you know, about the alternative board and they saw a speck on the floor and they were so distracted by it. They had to stop their speech, go pick up the speck and now they could do it. So aesthetic is about your sensitivity to um, the environment around yeah. you can be the relationships, the atmosphere, all sorts of things. I was only at a management group um, only last week um, where they were having a follow on meeting. And one individual says, do we have to use that room? It's a terrible room for uh, having a good conversation in uh, for the team. Uh, most team them are very happy to do it. But when we look at that individual's aesthetic was so high that no way could they concentrate in a room like that. So our environments can be very important to lots of us and how they make us, how you feel in that, that environment. And um, so, you know, you get into people's cars and you see that they, maybe they look fantastic on the outside and the car is a disaster inside, you know. So they, they do it for different reasons. Mm-hmm. So my story about learning that was, um, I was doing a diploma in corporate governance and time had come to study. So normally I would have just taken out the books in the office, we have an office upstairs, taken out the books and start going on page one, making my summary, bang, bang. This time I said, I'm just going to tidy up the place here, make it look perfect, have everything organized in the office and I'm going to spend a day doing it before I study an iota. I did that, my wife noticed, I didn't say a thing. Well the kudos I got for that was just extraordinary because she had a much higher aesthetic than I did. Yeah. In other words, she'd been suffering my untidiness almost for years. Yeah. And never saying anything, just tidying up or getting there first to tidy up, tidying as you go along. She would be able to never waste a journey. So all of these things can actually help relationships significantly, Yeah, we can have fun about them as a result.
0: I wonder how much of that is conditioning and Here's where I'm going with that. I have this thing: if, I, if I'm at home and the door is open, I have to get up and close it. Now, if it's a warm day, that's different; I don't mind. But if it's cold outside and it's warm inside, there's heat escaping, and I got to close it. Now, that's got nothing to do with the heat exchange. It's I can hear my father at the back of my head going, "You close that damn door." And, and for me, was
1: where you're born in a stable.
0: Yes, that exactly it. And therefore, it's like I, I can be calm but not if the door is open or there, yeah. there's a window open and the radiator's on, for example. I just, I can't relax. I, I have to get up, either turn the radiator off or close the window, one or the other. I don't mind, just, and, and, and I just wonder, yeah, is, is it our conditioning that creates those, that, that internal dissonance in our brain over certain situations? Maybe it's about being tidy because you had a parent who was all about being tidy. Maybe it was you're a firstborn, uh, you know, likes to be on time, structured, and therefore, if somebody's late, it's it's, it's, it's not pleasant, it's, it's, right? It, I'm just wondering how much of our lives are governed by those kind of things, and if the self-awareness of those helps.
1: Well, well that was my point, really, about education, in terms that um, as we develop when in our childhood, we're born with billions of neurons and they gradually waste away and we're left with our neural pathways and that creates the uniqueness of every individual and but we sense the world through our our senses and to use the analogy if you're a kid and a dog runs up to you barks licks your face you've you've seen things you've heard things you've had this sensation and you may form a view that all dogs are nasty and they're going to jump on me and i don't like dogs Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and this begin this leads to a whole set of beliefs so our beliefs they're not right or wrong but they're judgments we make and i often say that uh, we're lucky to be blessed with the ability to jump to conclusions because if we didn't we'd never make a decision because we'd never have enough information Mm -hmm. but that ability to jump to conclusions is based on our value system Mm. And our value systems is something, as you say, we've got a certain amount of it through our DNA, a lot of it through our parents, and then and the little moments that we've experienced um, that are so random.
0: Um,
1: it is, They're just incredibly random. That's how you're going to have so many kids that are so much different, even in the same family. But by being aware of these things, that we can learn to be much more tolerant. Because um, if we think politics is the art of not, going to war. And um, I think self-awareness is the art of curing interpersonal relationships, mm. essentially. And I mean, that's what counseling is about uh, to a great extent, which is about helping people to be able to express the different viewpoints and uh, mm. because people can't see those viewpoints otherwise. So I think that is why it's so so important uh, because it also um, can get people to appreciate the strengths of others. Mm. and. Um, I remember when my, my daughter was running her mini company um, in in secondary, in secondary school um, her first thing was that, oh, she was, a, this girl was appointed to the team and she was useless. And I said, so you fancy being a leader at some stage? Your job is to figure out her strengths. Nice. And I said, that's the job. That's what you're here to learn. It's not how to just win. It's to figure out that. They became great buddies.
0: Yeah, that's quite profound. That's
1: actually. Like developing that understanding of others, huge.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it is. That's quite profound, as for any leader. Because if if they're criticizing staff employees, uh, it really reflects on them that they it's, happened. Yeah, that's really quite interesting. Yeah, Tell me, you know, if you if you turn on the radio these days, TV, whatever it is. If you were just landed from Mars you could be forgiven for thinking there's a lot of doom and gloom around around climate change and war in Europe and so on what's your great hope for the future? Um, well I probably would be in the Mo Gawatt school
1: and um, Mo is the um, chief business officer of Google X and one of his books a few years ago was about scary smart And Scary Smart was about the inevitability that the artificial intelligence would be more intelligent than we are. Um, And it it was interesting, again, that uh, I was on a a podcast, it was a live stream the other day, and uh, it was a discussion of Jasper versus GPT-3 chat. And the, the view of the GPT, or chat GPT-3 was that it was used by people who are very competent already who knew the questions to ask. Jasper was more about, it would give you the structured questions so you could ask in a particular area. Mm. So this is the kind of future we're faced with. And um, so the possibilities are just incredible because if we can create an artificial intelligence that is much smarter than we are, and maybe it will be engineered to generate the educational programs to um, be able to, to, deal with a lot of the problems far quicker than we can Um, because some of our systems don't work that well. I just heard something on the radio today about uh, building of hospitals. Look, we can build modular units. We can do them 10 times quicker, 10 times the speed, quarter the price, all of that, rather than going through endless discussions, evaluations, uh, which are political often in their nature certainly I would have known people involved in things like children's hospitals or whatever that they always knew how much it was going to be costing, but it wasn't politically acceptable to say it and um, we also have opportunities we have another member who is looking at um, bringing some of the um, the methodologies that exist today in China for rapidly building assembling off-site and building on-site really good quality accommodation so all of the solutions are within our grasp, um, mm-hmm. but we may need a bit of help along the way mm-hmm. to get there quicker. So mm-hmm. on balance, I'd be optimistic about the future. Um, um, and Particularly, if we've got this, let's say, good assistant that can help us accelerate.
0: What role would you like to play in that future?
1: Oh. Well, for me, it's, um, It's working with those great companies it's helping those people to accelerate so i am always attracted to the the businesses um because the future is always the green shoots around us it's never really the the people who've been there for a long time and so there's all sorts of exciting uh companies and peoples out there that you know are standing on the shoulders of the giants that went before um but working with them to help them accelerate is always exciting and I get great crack out of that. And therefore I, I do things like I, I get involved in the Leo programs where the startups start off originally and um, they're great fun to work with. Um, you know, the local authority gives us a very small amount of money for doing it. So I, you have to limit it just to make sure your business is stable, but um, they're great fun to work with uh, those businesses because they're very creative Um, And it's great to be able to spot some of them and say, okay, this really has got legs. This is really potentially game-changing. And working with those companies is really exciting.
0: Nice. conscious of your time, PJ, a couple of quick questions to finish off today. Um, If your house were burning down and your family are safe, any pets safe, of course your phone and computer are safe, and yet time to run back in and grab one item to save it, what would it be and why?
1: Okay, well, I can't grab the piano. Um, well, I guess not. Oh, okay,
0: but oh, no, that's, that's a good answer. Like, okay, that's, yeah. It
1: probably yeah. would be, uh, and again, it, kind of, it partially goes back to your, your childhood things. Um, so, you know, we, we've digitized all the photographs. So my mother has copies of them and stuff like that. So they're they're all available elsewhere but one that's probably not um it's it's not the guitar behind me but um it's a Taylor 25th anniversary um i i, I was when I was in school um i heard they were giving free guitar lessons and i missed out on them so i persuaded my father to get a guitar and i practiced over the one weekend and i could play three songs by the end of the weekend i went into the class and they were all struggling on the first song so um that was my entry to guitar. It was many years later of my brother's wedding. I hadn't played guitar for years. And he's guitarist for the afters, as such, uh, toxic. And he said, PJ, you can play guitar. And I said, it's years since I've played guitar. My fingers will be in bits in minutes. Mm. And um, he said, take these strong painkillers, I did. I played guitar and I loved it. And I said the next day, I must buy myself a guitar because That guitar was easy to play compared to the the thing I had. And I went, I got online and um, I bought a guitar. I knew nothing really about guitars. I was going by the price more than anything else. I think, I remember it was 750 pounds, but I didn't realize that I picked up a a Taylor 25th anniversary guitar, um, a really special guitar. Um, probably worth, I don't know, five, six thousand Um, Euro, beautiful guitar I've been at the Taylor factory in, in San Diego and they're just a beautiful instrument and I've had such fun with it over the years so I'd probably grab that one
0: Right, and that probably is the same answer to a desert island if you take one item with you to a desert island it would be your guitar I guess if, well, if it can't be a I person,
1: it would be the, the um, what was this, um my, my other passion is, is sailing, and um, I would be able to grab the um, the ownership rights of the boat, so then I wouldn't be stuck <laughs> on the desert island.
0: Tell me for from, from, from sailing, where what's been your most adventurous uh, voyage so far?
1: Um, it's coming up in about six weeks' time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where we've bought a 2005 boat my myself my boat partner um and it's in the netherlands and it's a long time since i've even done offshore because i've mainly done racing and um Mm. there's a big cup in the background of one of our accolades from last year but we sold that boat that we had for 20 years and um, so bringing back this new boat, it's a it's a bigger boat, it's a cruising boat and we're going to have to go through some very busy channels mm. and it will probably take us seven to ten days uh, depending on weather. So that's going to be a big adventure. So um, it's the excitement of it, um, the anticipation of it. Um, and it's yeah, it's a great adventure to be looking forward to.
0: I can imagine so it's such a wonderful hobby I uh, my my father-in-law has a 28 foot boat uh, no he hasn't been in it a while but I remember uh, many years ago going out with him a few times I absolutely loved it there's a sense of detachment and yes. uh, de- it's a detachment and connection detachment from the hustle and bustle of everyday life but a connection to something much bigger and yes. there's very few things that can give you that um You've got
1: the teamwork of a boat, particularly if you're racing. Um, but the other thing i found, um, certainly when I was in Cleary's, um, there was one day in the week, I would work all sorts of hours, but when the summertime came, one day in the week, I was gone sailing. Mm. And as soon as I set foot on that boat, you were in a different universe. Didn't matter what happened during the day, that, um, because you had to concentrate on what you're doing because you'd fall over, and you might kill yourself. So your life is at stake in a very gentle way, but you can't get lost in thought about something else. You've got to think about your crew, the boat, yourself, where you're going, what you're trying to achieve. Um, and then you're out, outdoors, you're getting exercise without even moving, you know, yeah. as you sway on a boat and move about. And um, so it's, it's a very healthy, um, sustainable sport and uh, it's a great connection. So the, the friends that I've had, uh, you know, on the boat have been just amazing over the years. When we we sold our boat just recently, and um, for our Christmas party, the crew presented um, the owners with um, a a compendium in a book of all the pictures that told the story of the boat over the last 20 years. And I just thought it was such a lovely personal present to get. And so that's another thing I grabbed. So I'd have problems about what things I would grab because you can't. There's another copy of it somewhere, I'm sure, with my partner. But um, that that was a special one
0: also. Okay, final question. Uh, When your time on this planet is done and there's a book written about your life, what would you like the title of it to be?
1: Um, I think it would be The Helper.
0: I like that. I've not had that before. That's a really simple but powerful title very telling yeah pj Timmins, thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast today i've thoroughly enjoyed it
1: thank you very much i look forward to seeing it and um, looking at some of the other podcasts